Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. The Book of Psalms is a book of poetry, prayers, and songs that people wrote to God, prayed to God, and even used to lead others in the worship of God. The Psalms give us insight into what a relationship with God looks like and examples of how we can pour out our joys, fears, and our heart's desires to God. Join us weekly as we spend the summer in Psalms. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. We want to welcome you again to Valley Brook. We're glad that you're here in the house and online, and we hope that you'll come back and join us again next Sunday. In 2006, Pastor Mark Batterson published a book with a really strange title. Maybe you've read it. The title is in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. Now, the story is built around a couple of verses from 2 Samuel chapter 23, and it tells the story of Benaniah. Benaniah was one of King David's mighty warriors, and those verses tell briefly of some of the extraordinary exploits of Benaniah's life. Here's what we read. Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. And later we read that he struck down a huge Egyptian warrior by disarming him of his own spear and using that same spear to kill him. But it's the last part of verse 20 that really captures our attention about Benaniah because it says, He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Now, Batterson writes, you know, it's easy to read verses like this in the comfortable confines of your home or your office and totally miss the monumental acts of courage displayed by Benaniah. Scripture doesn't tell us what Benaniah was doing or where he was going when he encountered the lion. We don't know the time of day or Benaniah's frame of mind, but Scripture does reveal his gut reaction, and it was gutsy. You know, normal people run away from lions. They run as far and as fast as they possibly can, but, but lion chasers are people who are wired differently. You know, lions can run up to 35 miles an hour. They can leap 30 feet in a single bound. But Benaniah doesn't stand a chance. But that doesn't keep him from giving chase. Then the lion makes one critical misstep. The the ground gives way beneath the 500-pound frame, and he falls into a steep embankment, into a snow-laden pit. Benaniah approaches the pit. Almost like walking on thin ice, he measures every step. He inches up to the edge and he peers in the pit. Menacing yellow eyes stare back at him. Have you ever had one of those moments when you do something crazy and you think to yourself, what am I doing? Well, this must have been one of those moments for Benaniah. Who in their right mind chases lions? But Benaniah now has a moment to collect his thoughts to regain his sanity and to get a grip on reality. And the reality is this, normal people don't chase lions. So Benaniah turns around and walks away. But he isn't walking away. He's actually getting a running start. He runs at the pit, he takes a flying leap of faith, and you see 
two sets of tracks leading up to the pit's edge, one set of footprints, one set of paw prints. Benaniah and the lion disappear into the recesses of the pit. A deafening roar echoes into the cavernous pit. A blood-curdling battle cry pierces the soul and did dead silence. After a few agonizing moments of suspense, the shadow of a human form appears as Benaniah climbs out of the pit. The blood from his wounds drip on the freshly fallen snow. Claw marks crisscross his face and his spear arm, but Benaniah wins in one of the most improbable victories recorded in the pages of the Bible. Now about this scripture, Batterson writes, let me share with you one of my core convictions. God is in the business of strategically positioning us in the right place at the right time. God is awfully good at getting us where he wants us to go. But here's the catch. The right place often seems like the wrong place. And the right time often seems like the wrong time. And then he points out that just a few verses later in this passage of Scripture, after Benaniah has defeated the lion, these words show up. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Batterson writes, I killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day looks pretty impressive on a resume, particularly if you're applying to be the bodyguard of the king of Israel. Most people would have seen the lion as a 500-pound problem, but not Benaniah. For most people, finding yourself in a pit with a lion on a snowy day would qualify as bad luck. But you can see how God turned what could have been considered a bad break into Benaniah's big break. Benaniah lands a job with the king of Israel. Now, I'm sure the bodyguard position was the last thing on his mind when he encountered the lion, but Benaniah wasn't chasing uh, wasn't chasing a lion. Ben and I was chasing a position in King David's administration. So here's the point. God is in the resume building business. You're thinking, what? Hang on. God is always using our past experiences to prepare us for future opportunities. But those God-given opportunities are oftentimes disguised as man-eating problems. And how we react when we encounter those man-eating problems will determine our destiny. We can cower in fear and run away from our greatest challenges, or we can chase our God-ordained destiny by seizing the God-ordained opportunity. Now, look, I promise you that the rest of Benaniah's life wasn't perfect. We just get this small glimpse, and I can promise you that because like us, Benaniah was human. But he learned to trust God and to follow the opportunities that were set before him. And he learned from his past. It's possible that he even learned from his commander, David. And David also wasn't a perfect person, far from it. In fact, David made huge mistakes throughout his life. But he learned from those mistakes. Because God wanted David to follow him and step into the opportunities that he had laid out for him. But to do that meant that David had to make some decisions about how he was going to follow those opportunities, how he was going to live his life going forward and learn from his past. 
We're in this series, Summer in the Psalms, and Psalm 40 seems to be one of those psalms where we see David sort of calculating and understanding what's happened in the past provides him to accept the opportunities that come in the future. We're going to look at Psalm 40, and we're going to divide it into three parts, and we're going to look at what David says. And here's the first thing that we take away from those verses. We learn that we need to praise God for all that he's done. So let's look at those first verses. This is what David writes, starting in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. So in the beginning of the psalm, David is reflecting on his life. And he's looking at how God has been there for him. And he says, I waited, for the, I waited for God, and God heard my prayers. Now, we know that this can be hard to do, to wait and to trust that God is going to hear our prayers. We know that it can be challenging to do this. But we see David talking and saying that I waited and you heard my prayers, you heard my cries. And, and David says that God lifted him out of the mess that he was in in his life. If you know anything about the story of David, you know that it wasn't one mess throughout his life. There were multiple messes. You know, David says that uh, he lifted me out of the pit. You know, was it a literal pit, a slimy, muddy, miry pit? Maybe, but probably not. It was probably just a, a messy time in life. You ever had a mess in life and you felt like you were in a deep, dark pit? That, that's what was going on. You know, the reality is this, is life is messy for us. Some of our messes we get into uh, by our own doing. Some of the messes, unfortunately, happen to us. And when we're in a mess, we want to get out immediately. But here's what we have to do when we find ourselves in a mess. We have to trust God. As we cry out to God, we have to trust him. Even if we have to wait, we have to trust him because we have to recognize that the messes that we are in, they may be mistakes that we've made. They may be sins that we've committed. They may be messes that we have found ourselves in that have consequences that we have to deal with. Now, knowing David's history, he had to deal with his messes, with his sins, with the consequences that were put to him. There were times when God actually needed to correct him. And of course, God was faithful and he pulled David out of his messes and he gave him a firm place to stand. But what David does next is really important for us to remember. David praises God for what he's done. David praises God and he testifies so that people will know what God has done. David is making much of God and he's telling others, no matter how long he had to, had to wait, no longer how bad the mess was, he recognized that God was with him and helped him. And now he's praising God. 
Frances Jane Crosby, better known as Fanny Crosby, was a woman who knew how to make much of God, and she did it more than 9,000 times in her life. Now, how do I know that? I know that because that's the number of hymns that she wrote in her lifetime. More than 9,000 hymns. And, and those 9,000 plus hymns that she used to praise God were multiplied millions upon millions of times as, as literally millions upon millions of people have sung her hymns over the centuries. Now, ironically, she wrote about seeing what God was doing in a lot of her lyrics. So, for instance, in the, in the hymn, Blessed Assurance, she writes, Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. And then she writes, Watching and waiting, looking above. And then in the hymn, In the Cross, she writes, Near the cross, I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever. And then in the hymn, To God Be the Glory, she writes, but purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Now, I said it's ironic because Fanny Crosby was blinded in both of her eyes when she was six weeks old by a medical mistake. Yet she became a teacher and she became a poet. In fact, she wrote her first poem at the age of eight years old. Regardless of her blindness, she didn't see it as a handicap. In fact, she saw it as a blessing. You know, she was in her own pit, and yet she saw that God was with her, and that just came out of her in those 9,000-plus hymns that she wrote. One time, a well-meaning person recognizing how gifted she was uh, said something that's just going to make you cringe. He said, I think it's a great pity that God did not give you sight when he showered you with so many gifts. She'd heard similar things in her life, and this is how Fanny responded. Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind? Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall be ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. You know, you and I take for granted a lot of things, like sight, but Fanny Crosby never did. She waited patiently, knowing that one day she would see again, and the first person that she wanted to see was Jesus. Now, going back to verse 1, because verse 1 in this passage is one I think we struggle with. Most English translations of verse 1 say, I waited patiently. That's the, way they, that's the way they interpret the Hebrew. But if you go to the Hebrew, I'm going to read to you what it literally says. It says, I waited, waited. That's right. I waited, waited. And Hebrew does that to convey intensification and magnitude. This means not passively waiting, but with great concentration. Servants waiting on a great Lord are not twiddling their thumbs, but they're watching every expression and gesture to discern their master's will. Waiting on God then is to be busy in the service to God and to others for God, all in the full acceptance of God's wisdom and timing. We find ourselves in a pit, and we will, 
and cry out to God. And he'll answer in what is the appropriate timing. And we need to trust him. And we need to wait actively, knowing that this pit is preparing us for another opportunity that God wants to use in our lives. Now, David goes from praising God for what he's done in this psalm, and now he turns to giving God everything he asked for. And so that's the next thing that I want us to consider. Give God all that he asks. Give God all that he asks of you. So let's start at verse six. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide my, your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. David is pointing out something that his predecessor found out the hard way. If you know anything about uh, King David's predecessor, it was King Saul. And King Saul had been commanded by God through the prophet Samuel to go to war against the, Mal the Amalekites and to completely wipe out every living thing. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't obey what God has called him to do. And because of that, God rejects Saul as king and he puts his blessing on David. When Saul protests, saying that he didn't destroy everything, he said, I actually kept some sheep and some, some cattle to uh, use as a sacrifice to God. God speaks again to the prophet Samuel, and he's very direct, and he cuts straight to the heart of the matter. This is what God says. What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. David understands what Saul experienced firsthand. David understands that God wants our heartfelt obedience to God and to his commands. And that's why David writes that God's law is on his heart and in his heart because he has discovered that loving God means obeying God's word. Uh, Pastor Eugene Peterson, you, you may know that name. He's responsible for the version of the message, uh, the message version of Scripture that maybe some of you have read. And he shares an insight that he had as a student of the Bible. And this is what he writes. He goes, at the age of 35, I decided to take up running. So I got some running shoes and I began to enjoy the smooth rhythms of long distance running. He said, soon I was competing in 10K races every month or so and, and then a, a marathon once a year. And by then, he says, you know, I was beginning to subscribe to and read three different running magazines. But then I pulled a muscle. And for several months, I couldn't run. And while those magazines kept coming in the mail and they were all over the house, I never opened one. But the moment my leg was better and I started running again, I started reading those magazines again. And that's when I realized that my reading was an extension of something I was a part of. I was reading for companionship and affirmation of the experience of running. 
I learned a few things along the way, but mostly it was to deepen my world of running. If I wasn't running, there was nothing to deepen. And then he says, here's the parallel with reading scripture, and it's striking. If I'm not living an active response to the living God, reading about his creation, his salvation, his holiness won't hold my interest for very long. But if I am living in the active response to a living God, I will want to take his word in because I will want to obey it. So the question to ask when we study the Bible is not, what does it mean, but what can I obey? Simple obedience to God's word will open up our lives to the text more quickly than all the Bible studies in the world. Now, this is really important, so, so don't miss this. You know, we've just gone through months and months of a pandemic, and nobody would have ever expected that there could be a blessing, but one of the blessings we experienced as a church was that we were able to open an online campus, and all of our services can be watched in real time and on demand. And honestly, that's true for almost every other church in the world. They've done that. On the one hand, this is really a blessing because if you can't leave your home, you can still connect with your church online. And on top of that, you can listen to messages from other churches all around the world. But that blessing comes with a dark side. Watching online worship services and message, messages is a passive act of consuming content. You can become a Christian consumer watching all kinds of Christian content without actively engaging and following Jesus, without actively engaging in the body of Christ that we're called to be a part of. Being a Christian is not about taking and consuming. It's about engaging our lives and following God actively, participating in his mission with other followers of Christ. So as followers of Jesus... We need to give God all the thanks for all that he's blessed us with. We need to participate in and invest in God's mission. David understood this and he did that, which is why the Bible describes him as something I think we'd all want to be known for. He was called a person after God's own heart. Wouldn't you like that to be a descriptor of you, that you are a man or a woman after God's own heart? Now, this point leads us naturally to this statement. We need to trust God in all things. We need to trust him in all things. Let's look at the last part of this psalm, verses 11 through 17. David's writing, Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may they all seek you, rejoice, and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, The Lord is great. 
But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. So basically, in this psalm, we've seen David move through this period of of crying out to God, God rescuing him. He sort of goes into an act of worship, but now this has ended. He's returned to his royal duties, and he's discovered that he has new battles to fight, and he has new problems to solve, and he's overwhelmed, and he's turning to the Lord again for help. You know, his worship is not an escape from his life, but it's an opportunity now to honor God and to be equipped in, to face life and to live for his glory in the midst of what's going on. He said, you know, I've stumbled into trouble again. He asked God not to withhold his mercy. Don't stop protecting me, he says. He's overwhelmed, even by his own sinfulness. He's seen himself slip back into that. And so he pleads for help. You know, all of us know this pattern. We know that life is going to happen around us and it will have its ups and it will have its downs. And every single one of those ups and every single one of those downs is an opportunity to say, God, I trust you. God, I I trust you. You've been with me before. You've taken me out of the pit. I'm going to trust you in this new season of challenges. What's happened in the past can prepare us for the future. The Tokyo Olympics are going to begin in 10 days. And if you know anything about athletic competition, you know that it is filled with highs and lows, with ups and with downs. Vanetta Flowers is one such athlete who knows both the highs and the lows. You see, at the age of nine, when she was singled out as a track athlete with Olympic potential, her speed on the track propelled her to a full-ride scholarship at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Now, her first opportunity to try out for the Olympics track and field team as a college senior was frustrated by ankle injuries that contributed to a disappointing 13th place finish. So she didn't make the team. Four years later, unfortunately, she had an ankle surgery again, and she didn't make the Olympic team. When her husband saw a flyer encouraging track and field athletes to try out for the U.S. bobsled team, She was interested. She'd been focused on the Summer Olympics, but now this is the Winter Olympics. So contacts were made and tryouts were held, and she was offered the position of the brakeman in the two-person sled. Again, she was hopeful of achieving her Olympic dreams until the captain of her team dropped her for another brakeman. She was devastated. But she remembers her husband keep telling her these words. He said, God put you in this sport for a reason. Take the disappointments of the past and use them to fuel the opportunities of the future. So with her husband's encouragement, she kept on training, even though she didn't know what she was training for. Within a week of returning to the track for her training, she received a phone call from the number two driver in the world asking Vanetta to join her team. She did. And Vanetta and her driver went to the Winter Olympics and with record-setting speed, they won the gold medal. 
Vanetta achieved her Olympic dream, but more importantly, as a Christian, she realized that she had forgotten to trust God in the good times and the bad times. And about that, she said, I'd forgotten who was in charge. It's not me. God's in charge, and God knows how everything is going to turn out. Trusted God. God used those disappointments of the past to help her in the future. Like Vanetta and, and like David, we all go through difficult times. Not, not everything will work out in the ways that we have planned them to work out. But God is with us, and we need to trust him. We need to trust that whatever's going on in our life will help us be faithful and obedient to God in the future. I want you to hold on to these truths. First, God is with you, and whatever you're going through, he's present with you now. Even if you feel like you're in a deep, dark pit in life, God is with you. He's present. And God wants to use whatever you're going through to prepare you for what he's calling you to do. So praise him. Don't curse him. Praise him. Praise him for what he's doing in your life and what he's done in your life. And in fact, what he's doing now. And, and give God whatever he asks of you. And as you follow him into whatever he's calling you to do, trust him in the highs and in the lows. I want to pray for all of us that we would step into that trust, always putting our trust in him and following him. And, and I would say this to all of you. If, if you've never put your trust in Jesus and you would like to today, whether you're here in the room or online, I'm going to start off with a prayer where you can just put these words in your own language and just speak them back to God and commit yourself to trusting him. So let's all bow our heads. God, we do want to trust you in everything. And for those who have never put their trust in you, this is your opportunity just to tell him, God, I believe in Jesus. Go ahead and pray that back to him. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that he rose again. So I repent of my sins and I accept Jesus' forgiveness. And now I want to follow him. And now I want to pray for all of us God, we go through difficulties in life, ups and downs, and it's challenging, but we know you're with us whether we're in the pit or whether we have our feet on solid ground. And we know that you're asking us to follow you, to give our hearts and our lives to you. And so we do that. We do that. And Lord, we trust that whatever you're doing, you have good things. And we're gonna praise you and honor you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.